What is up, you guys? How's it going? I hope that you're having a great day wherever you are. I'm recording this in the evening, a few days before my 33rd birthday. My birthday is Sunday, March 13th, and I am so excited. And I'm definitely in that birthday mood where you feel very reflective. So as a result, you know, I was thinking about what to talk about this week on the podcast. And I was like, okay, it's episode five. And I really haven't introduced myself at all, (laughs) like at all. So yeah, I just feel like it's time to do that. And I'm excited to do that. Really excited to share this part of my story with you all because this is really like the origin story of why I'm doing this podcast. This podcast was in my mind, working, brewing, like since last, maybe April or something. And I just couldn't really articulate it. I couldn't quite figure out what I wanted to say or what I was about, you know, but I knew that I really wanted to share what I learned to help people who went through what I went through. And just now, you know, I feel like I'm really in the place where I have perspective on a really chaotic time in my life that completely changed who I am. And that's really been like the last four years have been a period of radical transformation that completely changed everything about my life. And that's not an understatement at all or an overstatement. (laughs) Okay, you know what I mean, though. Like, it is a big fucking deal. These last several years, I know were hard for everybody. But that particular period of time for me, it contained my Saturn return, which was, as I'll tell you later, uh, pretty fucking epic. And it was the catalyst to what had been laying dormant, like a volcano for most of my life, finally erupted. Saturn's in my fourth house, the bottom of my chart. And let's just say that it was like a volcano exploded. Like all of the the fourth house stuff that I'd been ignoring was violently brought to the surface. And don't worry, we're going to get into all of that, (laughs) but I'm just kind of giving you a taste for where we're going here. I want to share this story with you because when I was at my lowest at that time, I felt so fucking alone. There was a ton of conflict in my relationships. There was lots of falling out with people I really loved, and I really didn't know who I could trust because I had totally changed. Like my lifestyle had completely changed and I was very worried about how the people in my life were going to take that. I really felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. And beyond the fact that there was a ton of conflict, which obviously I needed to talk to somebody about, I felt like I needed somebody to, (laughs) somebody who understood what it was like to have to leave your old identity behind and how hard that is. (laughs) how devastating that is. I I really felt like I didn't have anybody to talk to about that. And yes, I was in therapy and it wasn't enough because I needed someone who was going through what I went through. And that's what I hope I can provide you today. If you felt like that, if you've gone through something like that or you are going through something like that, I hope that you hear this and you know after hearing this that you're not alone, 
and that even though the sun sets, the sun also rises. So fuck yeah, let's get into it. Three. And one. Okay. No. So everybody, I'm here with my husband, Michael. I thought it would be better to tell this story as a dialogue rather than me just like reciting facts to you. So we're just going to pretend that this is like a little slumber party moment where we're all hanging out. We're in our jammies. We got our drinks. We got our snacks. And I'm going to tell you about all of the crazy shit that happened in the last four years and why I think it's a worthwhile story to tell at this time. So I have Michael here with me. Say hello, Michael. Hi. And we're just going to jump right in. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. A lot of what was brought to the surface during your recovery was this desire to be perfect and to be liked. Where do you think that comes from? A lifetime of feeling like I had to work really hard to be liked. And I mean, truly, the first time I remember having that thought that I needed to work really hard for other people to like me was as early as like six years old. Um, I was completely consumed with what other people thought of me. I would say it was my core concern. And part of it was growing up in codependency. Growing up in a codependent family, you are conditioned. I would say subconsciously conditioned because it's not like something that anybody's actively doing. Totally. Yeah. That's kind of what I was trying to like find the words for is it wasn't like anyone in my family was explicitly trying to like ruin my life. I think everyone in my family did the best they could and they loved me. But the fact remains that we were all very concerned about each other's feelings. I also want to just take a moment to define codependency because if I had known about that term earlier in my life, like I just learned about what codependency was within the last two or three years. And if I had known about it sooner, I think things would have been different because I would have had a name for what I was experiencing. So codependency, according to the Newport Academy, which is a healing center for mental health issues, Codependency disorder results from dysfunctional relationships with others. Therefore, people who struggle with codependency often find it difficult to maintain healthy relationships. They also say codependency is common in those close to someone with a substance abuse problem. Parents, siblings, or friends can be codependent. However, codependency also occurs without any chemical dependency involved. Most of all, Families that do not feel comfortable talking about problems develop codependency patterns. As a result, family members suppress their issues and ignore specific needs. Furthermore, this leads to detachment from the family and their own identity. The signs and symptoms of codependency disorder are difficulty expressing emotions, trust issues with themselves and others, unable to set healthy boundaries, constant desire for approval from peers and family, fear of conflict, frequent job changes and spontaneous behavior, and addictive or compulsive behaviors. I'll put the link to this article in the show notes. And like I said, I just wanted to read that verbatim from a reliable source because one, I think a lot of people don't know what this is still. At least I didn't. <laughs> There's got to be a few other people <laughs> who still hadn't heard of codependency by now. But more than that, too, I, I think that people kind of forget what 
it means, right? I was talking to a friend of mine and she was telling me, you know, people forget that codependency has to do with substance abuse. I was like, yeah, I think you're right. Like we, we just think about the relationship part and that's certainly part of it. I mean, that is what it is, but it often arises or has something to do with substance abuse. So I just wanted to make sure that I shared that information here because I know if I had had this framework as a kid or if an adult in my life had had this framework as a kid and could help me work through it, that would have changed everything. But <laughs> that's not what happened. And instead, I was a kid who felt chronically misunderstood, almost like I was living behind a glass wall and people couldn't really see me. They couldn't really talk to me. Like I just felt apart from everyone and I hated that. I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted to feel like accepted and like people wanted me around. So I did whatever I could think to do to get people to like me. And that led to a lot of really fucked up situations. But when I was a kid, I didn't have any of that information, obviously. <laughs> I just knew that I felt like I had to try so hard to be liked and I could never understand why. And it became this vicious loop where I was conditioned to preemptively think about what other people were thinking about me. And of course that exacerbates your loneliness because you feel very different than everybody else. So these two things together just really compounded and created a situation where I felt not only thoroughly misunderstood, but incapable of having relationships with people that really understood me. So my elementary school experience was like not, not a good time. It wasn't a good time. I went to a Catholic school and I went K through five was with the same 30 kids there were definitely cliques, there were definitely bullies, and I got made fun of, and it sucked. And it made me not like Catholicism, because I had to go to church with these people who were dicks to me, and I just felt like, this kind of religion, I don't want to be a part of, because this religion apparently allows people to treat each other like this. I felt like I wasn't protected there. People were being mean to me. They were bullying me. They were throwing kickballs at my head on purpose. And I, nobody cared, or at least that's how it seemed. So that sucked, <laughs> obviously. There were some great things about high school. I was on a dance team and it changed my life. It honestly probably saved my life because the other thing that happened in high school was my parents' divorce. People get divorced all the time. And it's no, well, I don't want to say it's no big deal, but they coexist and get along. That was not what happened in my family. It was a rather scandalous divorce. It was a very long divorce. It lasted seven years. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, it took approximately seven years for it to be finalized. And I was 16. So growing up in a small town and people knowing the details of what happened because of the dramatic nature of it, it felt like the walls were closing in on me. And I just want to be really clear that I'm not blaming anyone in my family for any choices that I've made. 
I think anybody listening to this who's familiar with doing healing work and what we're talking about doing here, like recognizing your patterns and working through them, you just realize that like everyone is doing the best they can. And I definitely believe that about the people that raised me. And I'm not just talking about my parents. I'm talking about all the adults in my life, the teachers I had. I'm talking about the society I grew up in, the small town I came from. Everybody was doing the best they could. And I, I grew up with privilege and in a mostly loving home, but we had our issues and I'm owning my part of that in telling this story. Then like a month before I was supposed to graduate, I had a falling out with all of my girlfriends, like girls that were a part of the group that I was like kind of a part of. I never really felt like I was a part of it, but just like 10 different girls who all decided they were mad at me. And I'm not going to lie. They had a reason to be mad at me based on what they knew and what they thought they knew, but it didn't make the experience of them all deciding to hate me at the same time any more bearable. It was so crushing feeling like the black sheep. It was my greatest fear and it had come true. So by the time that I graduated high school, I had a massive chip on my shoulder. And I just wanted to prove to people that I didn't need them. I didn't need my hometown. I didn't need them to like me. I didn't need my family to be together. I just wanted to prove that I didn't need any of them to be happy. So I left high school with the feeling that I was going to prove everybody wrong. So how did those beliefs and mindsets, how did they, how did you carry them through your twenties? Yeah. Cause obviously they were still there whenever <laughs> we met. And it's interesting because the pattern I noticed throughout my life is this feeling of like, okay, I'm past it. And then there it is again. And that's kind of what happened in my twenties. So I will say I was very lucky to find incredible friends in college. And I, I had a lot of really happy times when I was in my undergrad but it was also a time of partying, and it was really when I started drinking and I started smoking. I didn't do that at all in high school, and this was a whole new world to me where I didn't have to try so hard to fit in. I found it very easy to be relaxed. I wasn't so worried about what other people were thinking about me. When I was drinking, I was able to really just be myself, or at least that's what I thought. It seemed like I wasn't so preoccupied with all of the chatter in my mind anymore. I was swept away, honestly, by that lifestyle. You had said that basically alcohol took your inhibitions away. You know, I'd be curious to know how many people like drink because they want to have a good time, but I'm too nervous to do it. So I need this crutch or this assistance. I completely agree. And I only say this because this was me. Most people that drink don't really know why they're doing it. Reason number one for that is because people don't ever stop to ask the question why they're drinking because you don't need a reason. Our society and the culture that we're in provides all of the reasons. <laughs> Anything can be a reason to drink. It's brunch. It's my we're, last day of work. Yeah, we're getting together. Something as simple as that. Anything can be a reason to drink. So people don't ever ask themselves why they really are. What's the reason behind the reason? And I'm certain that a lot of the time it does have to do with a fear of not fitting in, a fear of being judged. And I know that was true for me. 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of times I find myself asking this question, and I don't want this to come off as judgmental because that's not at all what I'm trying to do here. I never really drank. I would always think, you know, is this really a necessary ingredient to this situation? Like, would this would people still be bonding in the same way if they weren't drinking versus if everybody was sober? I just wonder, you know, are those relationships still the same relationships once you remove that factor? I completely agree. And that was something that I would realize later. But back in college, I was still very much the same person, even though I felt like I was different because I had this new group of friends and I felt like I was finally accepted by people. I still had that lingering feeling of confusion. And what I mean by that is I was indecisive about everything. I changed my major five times. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I ended up just choosing the path that I knew I could finish and seemed like I'd like it the most, but I was never quite sure of what I was doing. And that became really apparent to me when I got a job in my field. I was really lucky to get a job right after college, and in the same breath, I absolutely hated it. I knew that I didn't want to stay there. I knew I didn't want to be where I was, and so I quit, and I moved to San Diego with the person I was engaged to at the time. So do you feel like despite all this external change that nothing really changed? Yeah, I definitely feel like I was changing everything I could think of in my external life and nothing was changing internally. All of the moving across the country, the breakups, the new friends, the new jobs, it was all what I thought I needed to do in order to be happy and it was all wrong. None of it was really getting at the true issue which was I had no idea who I was. I was still so tuned in to what other people wanted from me, what I thought other people wanted from me. Because really, this was all about my perception. No one was, like, forcing me to do anything, right? Like, no one was saying, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. Maybe they were, but what I remember now looking back on this is that I was worried about what I should be doing. And I knew I was unhappy, but I didn't know why. And the only thing I could think to do, the only solution that I saw, was to change, to make changes, to do things differently. So I definitely don't feel that I was really making any difference in my life. But, you know, it was a lot of what I wanted my San Diego fantasy to be. It was lots of beach time. It was good food. It was partying. I did feel very lonely in San Diego. So I eventually decided to move home and a part of me felt like I'd made peace with the drama of my childhood by leaving and moving to San Diego. Like I'd lived in San Diego for four years at that point. I felt as though I'd made a ton of progress, even though I still felt the way that I felt. And when I thought about home, I didn't have so many of the really hard feelings that I used to have. So I thought that I could come home and that that would actually be a therapeutic step for me. But what actually happened was within a month of getting home, I flew to Vegas twice in a month. So clearly not stable, <laughs> not coping, not stable. And then I started a new job that ended up being one of the hardest jobs I'd ever had. Terrible leadership, lots of challenging situations on a daily basis. 
And ultimately, I just felt incredibly restricted. I wanted to burst out. I would have fantasies of getting in my car and just driving without even knowing where I was going. So this pull to come home, not surprisingly, happened just before my Saturn return. A Saturn return is when transiting Saturn, where Saturn is at the present moment, returns to the same sign and house where Saturn is in your natal chart. And if you're into astrology, this will all make sense to you because my Saturn return happened in my fourth house. And for those of you that means nothing to, the fourth house is about your inner life, your most private self, and it's also about your home and your ancestry. So all of those themes, really like being introspective and what's at the very bottom basement of your identity, as well as your home, your ancestry, where you come from, all of those topics were on the table for me during my Saturn return. Now, in the meantime, it wasn't all shit. I met Michael and we got engaged and got married. So that was the highlight of that crazy time. But don't worry, the train wreck is coming. It sounds like you were somewhere between being almost blasé about life while also being in somewhat of an existential crisis for most of your life up to this point. So when do you feel things started to turn a corner? It's really interesting because I can pinpoint an exact moment when things started to change because I was lucky or unlucky enough, depending on how you want to look at it, to have a really profound tower moment during my Saturn return. And what I mean by a tower moment, I'm referencing the tower card in tarot just Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. And that's like a pretty good visual for what I'm about to describe. So if you followed astrology for a few years, you may remember that in 2019, um, Saturn and Pluto conjoined. And I was not into astrology at that time. So I didn't know that was happening. I didn't even know what a Saturn return was. But right around the time that happened, I went to Chicago for a birthday party. It was December 28th, 2019. And I was excited about it. I was excited to go and to drink and have a good time with the people who would be there. And what ended up happening was I took a couple shots, which was not abnormal for me. But by the time we got to the bar, I was blacked out. And I was not new to blacking out, but there was something different about this experience. The last thing I remember is going to the bathroom. <laughs> and luckily I was with people who took me back to the hotel but after the bathroom, I just remember waking up in the hotel room. And despite the fact that this was something I'd experienced before, there was something very different about this time, something very scary to me. I just couldn't shake the fact that I really could have died. I was in a massive city. I knew like three people and anything could have happened to me. So it was very frightening and when I woke up the next morning, I was completely shook, not to mention so hungover, like alcohol poisoning hungover. And at that point, I just knew that I had to do something different. So you were at a crossroads and you knew which way you had to go. How did it feel making such a dramatic lifestyle change at that time? Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. There was a part of me that knew that part of my life was over, that I needed to do something differently again, but this time it was something 
I needed to do differently. I didn't need to change who I was with. I didn't need to change where I lived. I needed to change how I was approaching my life and my lifestyle. However, there was still a part of me that did not want to let go of that at all. I mean, before all of this, if you've asked me how I felt about drinking, I literally would tell you it was a part of my culture, which now to me sounds absolutely wild. But at that time, I knew that there was a high likelihood that this lifestyle was a part of the reason why I was so unhappy and so unsure about what would actually make me happy. So I decided that I'd try sobriety and see what happens. I was fully convinced that I would, you know, within a few weeks think, okay, this sucks. I hate it and it's not helping me. So I'm going to start drinking again. So I just kind of told myself that I would do dry January. But then I started reading this book called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, I think is her name. And I read it reluctantly because again, there was a part of me that didn't think I could really be happy without drinking. But as I read this book and as I actually gave sobriety a chance, I was like, oh, wow, maybe I was drinking because I was really nervous to be around other people because it's been so hard for me to feel accepted by others. Maybe I was drinking because it's scary for me to feel rejected and it's easy for me to forget about that when I'm drinking. Maybe I'm drinking because I grew up around alcohol and I feel like that's what people do. So I just started unpacking all of the underlying beliefs I had about drinking and that's what I really loved about that book. She presents all of the reasons people drink and then just logically dismantles them. And so through reading that book, I was able to do that for myself and really like uproot the beliefs that had kept me thinking that I needed to do this for so long. And so that was a really powerful moment. And after January, I just kept going because I felt better. I felt better physically. I felt better mentally. And then it was my birthday, March 13th, 2020. And you might remember that day as the day that COVID shut the world down. <laughs> but before it shut the world down, Mike and I went to dinner and I had a glass of wine. I had a glass of wine because it was my birthday and I hadn't had a drink since that night when I blacked out. And I was like, you know, I just, I wanna have a glass of wine for my birthday. So I did. And when I did, I was like, I don't miss this. Like, this isn't adding anything to this experience of me enjoying my birthday. It's just another drink. So at that point, I knew that I just really didn't need that in my life anymore. So it sounds like you stopped drinking and everything seemed to be fine. But was it really that simple, though? Because I know that, like, it was one thing to, like, see you around, but not knowing what the internal struggle was that you might have had. You could see it happening, but you don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. So explain to me what was what was happening. Yeah, I mean, I think this is important to talk about because the actual act of stopping drinking was that easy for me. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. I don't think I ever was. I didn't have any physical symptoms from stopping drinking. But the fear of what people would think about me was very real. I was terrified to tell people I didn't drink. I was really worried about how people were going to perceive me. I wasn't worried about like drinking. I wasn't thinking about, oh, I wish I could have a drink. That part was easy, but the part about what people would think about it was still there. So <laughs> there's that pattern again of what are people going to think about me? That was very much alive. 
But at that time, I didn't have the awareness to articulate that. So that was just a ball of anxiety that was inside me that I didn't know what to do with. Because what can you do? Like, you can't talk to the people you're worried are judging you. <laughs> well, actually, you can. And that's what I should have done. Because what I found out later was nearly everyone in my life was very supportive of this. But I was really worried about what they would think. So because I didn't have that consciously in my mind, what I did have consciously in my mind was, this is cool. And because COVID had, you know, shut everything down, I decided to commit to my physical health. I had a lot of free time. I was working from home and it just felt like a good opportunity to create good habits and keep the momentum going on the healthy choices that I was making. So I went really fucking hard into this physical health journey that I went on. I started learning about like quote unquote healthy baking. I was making cookies with stevia and protein powder. And I even started a little farmer's market business. And I'm proud of that. But at the same time, this was all stuff that was built on a very shaky foundation because what I was doing at that time was still running from the fact that I was trying to get other people to like me. And this really came to a head in July, like four months after I started this physical fitness journey. I was trying to lose weight at the time and I had reached a weight goal that I had for myself. And it was a goal that was very arbitrary that I had had for most of my life that I could never quite get to. But needless to say, once I actually got to it in July, I felt completely hollow. I did not feel happy. I did not feel proud of myself. I felt run down and ragged. And it was beyond denial at that point that even that goal was for other people. So once again, I was faced with the reality that everything I was doing that I thought was for me was really so that other people would like me. And that profoundly shook me, profoundly. So I just knew at that moment that while I cared about my health and I enjoyed exercise, and I still do, the extent of my commitment was not for me. I was still the same girl in elementary school trying to get everyone to like me. So it kind of sounds like you were still dealing with the same quote unquote demons that you were dealing when you were drinking and you didn't really, you know, have that crutch to help you deal with it. It sounds like you've done everything you could do and you still were in this place. And, and what did you, what, what was it that made you take that step forward? Like, cause I feel like that's a point where a lot of people who, at least with an addiction, I guess, or, or a problem. I don't even want to say addiction, but like, that's where some people get stuck because they realize, well, nothing changed. And then you fall back into your old habits, but you turned and went in the other direction. How, how did you do that? That's such a good point because I did feel really dejected. I don't want it to seem like I was just like, okay, well now what I, I was, but at this point I had already committed to my wellness and to myself. So even though that discovery that all of the things I'd been working on for the last several months were not really for me, that discovery was welcome in some regard because it gave me a door to figure out why that was. You can only fix a problem when you know what it is. And for the first time in my whole life, 
I was able to actually put the pieces together and name the problem, which is I am way too plugged in to what other people think about me and worse, actually, what I thought other people were thinking about me. I was constantly trying to guess at what I thought people would be pleased by or pat me on the back for. And again, like none of that was conscious until this moment. So that moment, despite it being a major low, was a huge blessing. And I just realized I had a lot of soul searching to do. So the problem was I was already doing all of the things that one does when they're trying to figure out what's going on with them. I had been in therapy. I was reading self-help books. I was reflecting, or so I thought. And I, I didn't really know how I could have missed this. But I realized at that point I needed another way to understand myself that I hadn't tried yet. I felt strongly that whatever modality it was needed to be something that involved me and me only. Because I felt, even with a therapist that I trusted or friends that I loved, or a husband that really was supporting me a lot in this time, it was way too easy for me to slip into people-pleasing and validation-seeking when I was engaging with other people. And because I knew that that was the root issue, I was able to pick the right tool or pick a new tool that would allow me to be with me, right? Like I needed a mirror to see myself more clearly that did not involve another person so that I could be very, very, very honest with myself and not slip into that people-pleasing uh, mentality again. And I also felt like I needed something that would connect me to a part of myself that I knew I wanted to reconnect with. And I later realized that this was actually my spirituality. And, you know, I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but that's kind of what was brewing. So I bought my first tarot deck in September 2020, and my intention was to use the cards for self-reflection. And I loved them. I enjoyed learning about the symbolism and the imagery in the cards, but I also didn't really understand what I was doing. Like, what I was communicating with was really fuzzy to me. Is it me? Is it something else? How do I know that what I'm interpreting from these cards aren't just projections or what I want to think? So I found myself wanting something a little more objective. And that's when I came into astrology. So when you first brought up these ideas of these things that you wanted to do, I was initially a little skeptical. Once it was kind of laid out how you were interpreting it, it changed my perspective on it. And it made me actually almost a little bit interested because I liked the way that you were explaining it and how you were attributing it to your life. But for you, what was it about astrology that you found so healing? What did you connect with? Well, I found astrology to be that more objective tool as opposed to tarot. Like I knew tarot would be useful for me, but I needed something that was less susceptible to my projections. And the symbols on my birth chart felt like that objective map. One of the first things I, I researched whenever I looked at my chart was my rising sign. And what I found out was that I'm a Libra rising. And I quickly realized that the shadow of Libra is people-pleasing, is prioritizing others' needs before your own. And I knew from my research that the first house is about the self. So I was able to trace back just from that one placement where this energy, where this impulse comes from. 
And of course, it came from my life as well. Because the thing about your birth chart is, it's not just about you. It's about the environment. So it was speaking not just to my internal state, but to how I was raised and um, how I was conditioned to act and behave. By December 2020, I researched the shit out of my chart. And the validation, awareness, and healing that took place from that research absolutely changed my life. It taught me so much about myself that I couldn't see before because it was so close to me and I had no way of seeing it. When I was drinking, I definitely couldn't see it because I wasn't taking the time to be reflective. I was disconnecting, chronically disconnected. When I stopped drinking, I thought that I had solved the problem, so I wasn't reflecting then either. And my health journey, quote unquote, <laughs> led me to that place where I was finally confronted undeniably with the fact that I was ignoring myself. I was disconnected from myself. Studying my birth chart gave me that back. It gave me back my connection to myself. So now that you've lived through all this and you had some perspective that you gained over time and probably a lot of people that you had been close to may not be really in tune or know exactly what you're doing. So take this opportunity to tell us who you are, Dana. Oh my God. Wow. That just like gave me chills. So today for the first time in my life, I feel confident about my desires without the crushing fear of rejection. I'm not so indecisive anymore. I know what I want. And I'm confident in what I want. Here's the thing. You always know what you want. Your intuition never leaves you. Your spirit never leaves you. But you doubt it whenever you don't have a consistent um, practice of connecting with yourself. And so now I don't doubt it. There are times when I don't know how things are going to work out. And I get anxious and scared just like every other normal person. But I have a base level of faith in myself now. And... Honestly, the fear of rejection is very human. And for someone like me, that's always going to be there. But now I see it more when it shows up instead of letting it run my life. It's like any other shadow that you have. You can see it. You know that it's there, but that doesn't mean you need to be afraid of it. It's like an old friend. I know why it's there because I did go through a lot of heartache and I was rejected and that was real, but I can see that for what it is now. And it's stuff like that, that my astrology gotten awareness has given me. It helps me remember that I'm meant to experience harmony and hardships. And both are exactly right and good for me. Now I just feel I'm here to learn and grow. And if nothing else, I've definitely fucking done that. That is the long and winding road of my Saturn return. And... My journey with codependency and learning what it was, learning that it was something I needed to dig into and how I navigated my way through basically starting a new life for myself when I quit drinking and really when I committed to living the life that I wanted to live. I honestly feel like this story is not about sobriety. It's about choosing yourself and deciding to stop disconnecting from the moment. What I've been through is why I'm so passionate about talking about self-awareness 
and sharing what I've learned about psychology and about uh, self-development and about astrology and spirituality. These tools restored my sense of self. They helped me restore my sense of self. They helped me remember who I was. And I also think the hardest thing or one of the hardest things about going on a healing journey is it is very lonely. Even if you have support in your life, you are ultimately going through whatever it is you're going through on your own. It's a personal journey. And again, you could have the greatest, most loving, most supportive people in your life, and you will likely still feel lonely going down this road. And many of us don't have any support. Many of us have outright conflict as a result of our changes. And I'll just say that I know how hard that is. So to my fellow self-help witches out there, I sincerely hope that you were able to feel comforted or in good company with what you've went through, what you might currently be going through, and that your faith is restored if it was ever dimmed in the fact that not only is it possible for you to feel at peace with your life, but it is inevitable if you continue cultivating your personal awareness. This story is proof that it can be done. So if you like what you've been listening to, subscribe to the podcast. I really want to be reaching the right people and I can only do that with awareness and I, the podcast gets awareness through your subscriptions. So that means a lot to me. And if you don't already follow me on Instagram, I'm on there at selfhelpwitch. Please follow me and shoot me a DM and let me know what you think about how the episodes have been so far. Even if you just want to send me a little wave in the DM, like that would make my day <laughs> and I would just love to know you. So I mean it. Please DM me, say hello. I love you and thanks for listening. Bye.